Happy Holidays from the Badass Records Podcast. Um, so episode 97 Badass Records Podcast um, Pulp Fiction Jackrabbit Slims The burger joint with the $5 shake mm-hmm. And the dance contest Do you remember how Uma Thurman says her name into the microphone I remember what it looks like She says uh, First she's, I think she says his name first Vincent Vega And then she goes this is Mia Wallace. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you could do your Mia Wallace voice, but saying your own name. Peregrine Honey. <laughs> yes. Perfect, perfect. Um, thank you so much for being here. This is great. Um, and a funny little story before we get going. Uh, you actually just walked past a shelf in the garage where I have a, sta- a big stash of New Yorker magazine because um, a subscription to it was required for a course I took in grad school, and then I like loved it, so I hung on to it for a while. And um, uh, What's his name? The guy from Lawrence, uh, was it William S. Burroughs? Um, Killed his wife. That was yeah. that action? Nice. <laughs> yeah, but he used to um, take lines from pieces of literature like peel this line here from this article and then this here and then like make it his own sentence and i was like i'm gonna do something like that so i saved all of these new yorkers from like 2008 through i don't know 2010 it's it's a lot um and i'm still gonna do it um at some point but some of them are in a crate and some of them are on that shelf and on the shelf i keep coffee beans And I got sent the wrong kind of coffee beans last week. And I was like, well, I'll keep. I'll just get a replacement for the one that I normally get. But I'll I'll keep these. But where am I going to find this? You know, everything's real tight right in that space. And so I went out there to figure it out. And I'm like moving things around. And I pull out this copy of New Letters. Oh, I'm in that. And I say to myself, what are you doing? outside of your home the new letters portion of my shelf and i was like how weird and i look at the back and sure as shit you're in it and i was like what what is happening right now peregrine honig peregrine honig peregrine honig yeah paintings and texts the birds peregrine honig (laughs) who uh is the youngest artist in the permanent collection of the whitney museum of american art sculptures imagery and texts explore themes of sexual vulnerability, trends in disease, and social hierarchies. Yeah. And there's a lot. All the rest of it is fascinating, too. And the, the artwork, of course, is beautiful. But um, so I went to UMKC for uh, grad school. And um, it was a creative writing master's. And I was taking classes with Bob Stewart. Uh, magazine editing to be uh, specific 
and uh, he made all of us. We had to create. We, had, we got put into teams. We had to create a, a prototype of a magazine with like articles and photos and ads and I mean the cover or the whole thing. Um, and uh, he also made each student. You had to either volunteer or like intern with new letters or intern with new letters on the air, the radio print. That's, that was where I wound up was new letters on the air working with Angela. Um, but I still loved, loved, loved as an aspiring writer, the idea of new letters, the publication. Um, that, I think that one's owned by Hallmark. Oh, really? Yeah, the morning bird forgets her nest, and clearly you can guess the rest, yeah. Um, so while I was there, it was only a two-year program, um, I was, New Letters was on my radar. Yeah. Um, and then I got a subscription to it and, and kept that, you know, probably, I probably pulled the plug on it and The New Yorker at the same time. But seriously, like, this had to have gotten out of its spot in my old home, like 11 or whatever, however many years ago it was. And so just literally a week ago, moving around these bags of coffee beans, I'm like, what is this, ob this thing that is a different shape and you're in it? <laughs> Pretty crazy. Um, but nevertheless, thank you so much for being here. Totally. Um, The lovely Patrick Spray did an episode with me, Center Cut Records, and um, I was telling uh, last week's guest this same thing. At some point, I don't know when, in our conversation, he was like, here's a couple people that you should reach out to. And he listed a couple names. And I was like, you know, I grabbed my pen and wrote down one. Oh, no, a second one, and go to put it down, and a third, four. And he gave me like... I don't know, 25 names. And in the, in the back of my mind, it's like at some point I got to start reaching out to these folks, which didn't happen for a while. And I've only sat down to do it like twice. And, uh, you know, I made it this far and then this far. And I think you were in the this far portion of it. So that's how I knew who you were. <laughs> and cool. here, we, here we are. We made it happen. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you very much for being here. Um, you're an artist. So I'm told. <laughs> I think many places tell the rest of us the same. Um, and I don't know if that's because you're telling those places to tell us that or the places believe that. But nevertheless, super cool. Super cool. Um, you have uh, a website. I do. And a wiki. I do. <laughs> and uh, what else did I see? Uh, the Nevika Project? Oh, uh, yeah, my dealer in Chicago, the Nevika Project. Nevika, excuse yeah. me. Okay, so. Jason Laufer. What does a, a dealer, what does that mean? So uh, your art dealer helps you sell your work and helps uh, you get connected to collectors and museums and uh generally they take 50 percent of the sales oh, of sh nikes okay yeah it's important information when people see something 
that's selling for a certain quantity of money to understand that there's like this crazy village that goes into art. Wow. Whatever, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. Website, uh, wiki, that you, your, st- your stuff is on the Navika Project page. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have currently my work that I have my first like solo show of new work up at Studios Inc., which is like a, a residency for mid-career artists. And so that is um, up through December 23rd. And it's seven, like six by eight and one-eighth foot paintings. Wow. Yeah, they're big. Uh, Studio Zinc. Studio Zinc, 1708 Campbell. 1708 Campbell, downtown KC, Mm -hmm. through December 23rd. Mm Mm-hmm. And what were the what were the size dimensions again? They are six by eight and one eighth foot. Okay, okay. And they are at a fifteen degree angle from the wall. They're on these wooden cleats. Oh wow, that's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that was. I'm glad you said that. The other only other space I was going to mention where it's, some of your stuff can be seen is your Instagram page. Oh, I also have work at Blue Gallery. I have work in Boston. Um, I'm in the New York the New York Public Library and then in the Milwaukee Museum of Art has my archive and then the Nelson Atkins Museum also has my archive. So the Milwaukee Museum of Art has my print archive, like all of my pieces from Landfall Press and then like the plates and the um, early sort of layers to those pieces. And then the Nelson Atkins Museum has my archive of articles and um, photos and t-shirts and album covers and cool. some of the stuff that I've been producing over the past 20 years. Um, I'm glad you said layers because every layer is a player has That's been true. the uh, hashtag or the hashtag. association with the current show. Yes. Studio Zinc, 1708 Campbell uh-huh. through December 23rd. Yeah. And... Can folks just, I mean, are there are there hours? Like, what is the process for one to go see this stuff? So what I did was I have the smaller work at Blue Gallery also open through the 23rd. And at the bigger work is at Studio Zinc. It's kind of like, a, I know that Studio Zinc is like 10 to 4, but it's kind of like Thursdays are great because both spaces are open. Um, are they neighbors, Blue Gallery? They're close. Okay. They're not, I mean, they're, it's like a five-minute drive. Okay. So I've set up the show with Kelly Kuhn so that the both walls are the same color. There's kind of a similar immersion feel to both the smaller work and the bigger work. And the smaller work, I've named them Casting Call and Understudies and Auditions. So the final pieces feel like theater or like or or like lost operas and and the other work has all led up to those okay and what kind of time to from from inception to the show opening was this did you was your output you know and thinking and creativity and all that my whole life no way Um, <laughs> I mean, li- labor, like labor, like body to 
canvas I've had the studios Inc for I'm, I'm about two years into a four-year residency and so um so physically two years but the concept specifically to these pieces were a print that I did with uh, Lawrence lithography with Jacks uh, with Mike Sims Mike Sims that I completed in 2006 but the earlier pieces from those Bob Carlson has he's passed but I showed those with um Byron Cohen or like like 1998-ish okay and is the and I'm I don't mean to sound boorish or, or like an idiot but it, this is like a world that I've only you know peeked into once or twice in my life is this having a show like this in in not only one but two spaces for you know a a period of time is this a thing where you're like this is a thing I want to do and so I'm going to set out to do it or does somebody approach you or is it collaborative or so the 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 residency you apply for the residency okay and I've shown with Kelly for about eight, nine, maybe 10 years now. Okay. It's been a while. Um, and she's just very like intuitive and she's very friendly. Like she's very professional and I, we have a very good dynamic. Just, um, I trust her to sell my work and just get it from point A to point B in a safe space. And that was my next yeah, question. Half you, the battle. If you have these uh, pieces elsewhere in the country, how? How do they arrive? How do they get from point A to point B? Uh, in crates. Okay. Um, depending on the piece. Sure. Like, I printed a piece a couple, four months ago, five months ago. And it costs more to ship it than to print it. <laughs> like wow. it can be you know I don't think again like what I said earlier people the comp like what goes into a, selling a piece of artwork or placing a piece of artwork or just the politics of it is um, it's very uh, complicated and um, honestly it can be exhausting I bet yeah now the exp you mentioned the the shipping expense is that that is that a thing that you also on top of that insure so the gallery is usually the cost of of creating and shipping work is on the shoulders of the um, buyer okay. but then the your art dealer will insure your work and make sure that it's installed and make sure that um, depending on, like these seven paintings, I'm wanting them to go somewhere together. So that's a big ask. Okay. And I don't really want them to go to a conventional place. Like I'm hoping that, well, I'm working, I'm not hoping. Um, uh, into like a hospital or into like I you know a factory in Detroit like so maybe a place with um like a rehabilitation house cool yeah okay so these pieces that are like in New York for example they that's their home they stay there because somebody purchased them uh -huh. oh okay 
I'm thinking, you know, if you sometimes when you're walking around the Nelson, you know, here's the little thing about the piece and the art, and then it's like on loan from. Uh, well, that's true too. Yeah. So places will tre- temporarily trade stuff. Yeah, yeah. But some stuff that museum owns it because they paid the artist. Correct. And now it's there. Okay. Yeah, like the one of the most borrowed pieces of the Nelson Nelson is that peel piece, the woman that's kind of like holding up the scarf. Mm. So that's like the most borrowed painting that okay. the Nelson owns. And so it's like included and it's like an example of it's got a great narrative. It was a great artist um who is the son of another artist. So like the uh, yeah. Like there are even performances that are owned by collectors. Like there's performances that are like a collector will purchase a, an installed performance and then when that per- piece is put into a group show, it'll be from the, the collection of blah, blah, oh. blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, uh, the things that are on display at your solo show right now through the 23rd, are they all thematically interwoven? Okay. Yeah. Um, and is it per- is it okay to ask for you to talk a little bit about what some of those themes are or would you rather the viewer decide that for themselves when they go see? I, I'm, I know how I wanted what I wanted them to turn out to be and they were not cooperative. Um, so I'm learning from the people who see them, what they're about as much as what I think they are about. Like I can't argue what my paintings evoke another did I did People. I hear you correctly when you said you knew what you wanted them to be, but they were non-cooperative? The pieces. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but I mean, you you don't get upset with that, do you, or do you? It's emotionally exhausting to make artwork. Okay, and and it can be as frustrating to have an immediately gratifying gratifying image as it is to have something that just battles you to your bones. It's just, I'm. It's, I mean, art's not gonna like. It doesn't cure cancer. Like there's, there's right. not. Yeah, you know, there's like the same, um, sort of like science, religion, art. Like everybody kind of has to have some sort of faith in it for, mm. it, for it to work. Okay. Out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, is there? a visual uh okay so material speak materially speaking Uh the the pieces that are on display right now yeah similarity across the pieces there as well in terms of material so i really make my work based on what it needs to be made out of okay so some of my work can appear to be these very delicate drawings. Some of my work are these really large photographs. Some of my work are sculptures. These are oil paintings um, because I knew they needed to be oil paintings. Okay. To come across the way I wanted them to come across. Okay. Wow. Um, And then, so you knew what you wanted them to be, but they were non-cooperative. I mean, so thematically one person might see stuff differently than the other and then of course it could be different for you as well well the same person can see something different in from moment to moment when they're looking at something so you landed in in kansas city uh 
by way of San Francisco to go to <laughs> KCI, the yeah. Art Institute, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the the big giant piece uh, along the wall where my puppy's crate is mm-hmm. is part of a three a series of three uh, from a buddy who also went to the art. I had three buddies out of high school that all went to the art institute. Only the one who who did uh, that work stayed long enough for a degree. The others pivoted and did other things. But such um, an interesting place to me because prior to that, I didn't even know it existed. Mm. And it was like, you're going, you know, everybody's like, KU, KU, wherever you say you're going. And then it's like going to the art institute. Where's that? <laughs> it's right over there. Oh my gosh. Uh, and and so two from my high school, and then the the one whose work is up there uh, moved here from Colorado to do, to do that, um, which still I mean it's surprising to me that like that I didn't know it existed for the longest time, and then that folks from elsewhere in the country are aware of it and interested in attending it. It's a it's like top three. Okay. Yeah, like the, really? the foundation program is just phenomenal. Okay. Yeah. So at what point did it, are you born in like all the way through like 18 in San Francisco? I went to the Art Institute when I was 17. 17. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but born and raised out there and then come here at 17. And at what age were you like, that's, that's where I'm going or that's where I would like to go? Uh, 16. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I like, yeah, I, I, there were a lot of schools that were courting me. Um, and I had studied under like Ruth Osawa, who is a, who is very, who is a very amazing, um, sculptor in Kansas. I mean, in, in San Francisco. And so she helped me immensely and, uh, took, no shit from me like saw that I had potential and then just like I really didn't have a lot of like did not give me wiggle room which I'm so grateful for so yeah with this was actually the high school that I went to because I went to an art high school has they changed the name of my high school to the Rithisawa school of the oh Arts. wow yeah. cool um but she was a, an amazing mentor she like took me off campus to draw from the figure which probably would have never happened would not happen now like draw from the figure like draw draw from the human body okay i thought i thought yeah and so and yeah just a total but total like you know walk the space between like fine art and like uh public work and well-spoken and had you know had been in a japanese internment camp so uh, whoa yeah wow okay yeah, so just had a very um, no time wasting perspective on things. Mm. So I went to high, that high school, and then a lot of the schools that I was like Boston Museum School, Rhode Island, Rhode Island School of Design, a Cooper Union, um, RISD, just a lot of those schools were sort of geared towards um, like, uh, like, making like these statistics about like how many people in their school got jobs when they got out. And I was kind of already in the hustle. Like I had figured out how to like make some kind of income 
doing stuff like murals and before you're done with high school. Yeah. Wow. So then, um, yeah, I got to Casey. I actually, I, I graduated a couple of years ago because I started getting these opportunities, uh, through different, uh, art buyers and collectors and I realized if I didn't really focus on this group of people that um, I wasn't going to get these opportunities that were I seemed to be coming my way and I'm really glad that I stepped away from I, I failed history of unions in America but everything else like A's and B's mostly A's <laughs> and then when I went back to school uh, Frank Weaver who's one of my who's a dear dear friend but also collects my work was like you really need to finish college and I kind of thought I was like a badass because I got into these museums and I didn't have a degree. But I graduated right before the pandemic. Mm. Uh, Western attitudes towards death and dying right before the pandemic. And uh, the history of the Bauhaus. So those are the two classes I had to take. I took them. I got A's. And I am really happy that I, like it brought me joy and got me past some weird... Uh, I don't know, psychological glitches in the universe. I don't know. And to, then to finish that degree? To finish the degree. And then, of course, like, no, you're not going to walk across the stage during a pandemic. So, oh, right. yeah, but I have my degree. And but that's some, some closure, some yeah. accomplishment, yeah. some validation. Now, validation. why did he, why do you think he felt that way and shared that with you? I don't know, but... Um, I'm glad that I listened to him and um, I learned, you learn really differently in, in different points of your life, right? Absolutely. Like, you know, when you're like 17 and you're just like, that's really different. Mm hmm yeah. There wasn't like internet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. So yeah. like I took a class from Jordan Stempelman. And I couldn't figure out why, like, no, it was, it was Aaron Dahl first. I couldn't figure out why everybody knew, everybody else knew what was going on and I did not. And it was because they had school emails and I did not know that I had a school email where all the information was going. And so I then signed up for the school email that existed under my name. <laughs> and then I started getting the assignments. But the first couple of classes, I was completely like, why does everybody know to read this? This is crazy. Yeah. Welcome back to school. Yeah. Welcome Don't I back feel to dumb. the internet. <laughs> welcome to the internet. Um, well, that's that's cool. Because I, I mean, I love that for you uh, and the, those experiences. And and it actually answers my next question was, which was, uh, so you come here from San Francisco, do school, and then decide to stay. Why is that? But opportunities. Opportunities were cropping yeah. up. I also uh, my parents were renters. And um, so I knew how much rent was. And San Francisco, I'd, um, I found like a 5,000 square foot space in Kansas City for $500 a month. Really? <laughs> really. Wow. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and, and then um, I got the Avenue of the Arts. I got the Charlotte Street Fund. So it just, I had a lot of support. Uh and the work that I was doing was just very much like on point with the art world at that time, just mm. naturally. And 
the older teachers were sort of like, hey, we've got we've got one who can draw. We've got an artist. Like, mm. like, like a validation. And like my friend David Ford um, has always said, like, New York is a great place to be an artist, and Kansas City is a great place to make art. Cool. And um, I my family is from New York. Like, oh, they are. Yeah. My, okay. And so I've spent a lot of time in New York. You know, I would work for my great uncle, um, like packing up China, and doing catalog work, mm. and so. I, I just didn't really want to go to college there in the on the East Coast because I knew that I would just really get distracted. Mm. And I still don't really feel cool enough to be in New York. Like New York is great, but you have to be like really cool. I mean, don't you arrive with an edge on most folks based on your name alone? No, not really. <laughs> I like I just it's not an easy city for me to relax in. It's so unbelievably beautiful and there's so much cool stuff to look at. Yeah. Food and walking around is awesome. I just I never quite feel like um I don't know. Like I don't know. Like I I love um New Orleans. Okay. I mean, I'm back and forth from New Orleans. I definitely I like what's cool there better than anything just like the way that art and music and food and costuming kind of just grunt together in this weird way yeah um it's not overwhelming to me and um new maybe, orleans new is orleans. not overwhelming to you no but new york uh, new york i mean it's just, i see it's like the same thing like i've like was recently in um paris with my business partner for birdies and it's just it's sort of like there's just it's just like so much stuff that's beautiful and incredible to look at. It can just be very like, and not overstimulating. It's just like, I don't know. Like it's when I'm in New Orleans, I just feel there's just this like fluidity mm. and um, there's just like a different attitude. There's, I, I guess there's like more of a respect or, or just a different attitude towards mortality interesting okay like i think i'll probably end up in new orleans like i imagine myself like an old woman in new orleans more than an old woman in kansas city with a porch yeah and with a, a porch and a good set of pipes so you can say some shit to somebody walking by <laughs> like just throw rocks <laughs> oh shit okay yeah. um i have well prior to a month or so ago yeah uh, I had only been in New York once, and it was not until 2017, and I was I was really just there for a handful of days to see some shows. But I went in October uh, to do one of these, and it was completely bananas just in the fact that I entered the day with like two hours of sleep, uh, 7 a.m. flight to JFK, uh -huh. Ubered to this guy's tattoo parlor, set up all the gear, recorded him, broke it all down, Ubered back, and was you know back in Kansas City by nine p.m. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the, it's still like I'm still little corners are processing, and it's yeah. kind of like that was like I'm glad that you know I didn't die and that it all worked, yeah. uh, you know, um, but also I was really glad to get out of there. Like it just felt I don't know, and um, 
I still say it's a t-shirt, but I've seen it as a meme and my favorite New York meme or t-shirt is, uh, the list of things to do in New York. Number one, <laughs> leave. <laughs> <laughs> Silly, but it, it makes me giggle every time. Yeah. Um, so where did, so you have uh, two siblings? Three. Three? Yeah. And where are you in the? Um, I, Mike, I called my dad to tell him that my mom, his ex-wife was pregnant when I was like, nine-ish, like nine, nine and a half years old. And uh, he was really quiet because my stepmother was also pregnant. So my I was an only child, and then in a six-week period, I got two sisters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, my youngest sister is 14 years younger than me. Okay. Four girls. Yeah. All right. Um, and how did mom and dad meet? Do you know? Um, my, my mom and dad and uncle were friends i think in high school in new jersey and then my um i don't know the exact timeline but they did not stay married very long okay and then um my mom married my stepfather who's also like a a new yorker middle child <laughs> same sign and um so i but I kind of like look like my stepfather. Like he had a type like, you know, middle children, Jewish men from New York. And then my mother and my stepmother are both like blondes. So even though my three sisters, like they're all my half sisters, we all kind of have a look not that dissimilar because kind of similar genetic. Sure. Okay. Form. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's hilarious and awesome at the same time. Yeah. Um, now, so, but for you, bio mom and bio dad were, their thing was over and done when you were pretty little. I'm the only child of my parents. So okay. they were divorced by the time I was three. But, okay. And then are you doing split time? Are you with mom split. only? Or dad? Okay. Yeah. And um, memories of either of them playing and by playing, I mean, listening to music in yeah. the home. Yeah. yeah. So were they both into their own kind of thing or some similarities or my dad was more had more of a music thing than okay my mom my stepdad took me to see like he took me to my first concert which okay. was uh, cindy lopper nice yeah <laughs> and um and my dad was like a nina simone okay jazz kind wow. of dude okay so but mostly i remember like record albums like i remember what they look like sure like because i'm a really like i have a really visual way of navigating the world okay um like i remember like sticky fingers you know okay is that like, the one with the zipper and the shot? banana yeah <laughs> right <laughs> the, what did you just say the zipper and the banana <laughs> the, the andy warhol yeah i mean right. there's such a there's such a history of like artists and uh, musicians working right together and so um yeah, I've been making posters. <laughs> My first, what was it? Ugly, so bad. Like the first album cover I made was for a band. There was a recording studio next to Walnut Laundry. And it was a band and their hit song was Ugly Bitches Got the Best Pussy, right? Okay. So I've come, <laughs> I was not aware of that when I made the album cover. But uh, that was my first album cover. And This is in Cali? 
Kansas City. Oh, Kansas City. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, there was a band in Kansas City with that name. No, that was their hit song. I'm oh, sorry. That was a yeah, hit song. Okay. Hit okay. Song. <laughs> um, and then, um, and then um, I did posters for Malachi Papers. Uh, you know, Anne Winters, who ran Recycled Sense, was a big collector of my posters. So she, oh. uh, she probably had the most of my posters. Okay. Um, and then Todd Diesel, who recently passed, okay. um, he also had a big collection of my posters. Like, uh, like they would come around and get them. But yeah, I've been doing um, like Barbez. I did... Uh, Garage Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I, no, no, like I love, I love like accessibility of visual stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's this great Kurt Cobain story where he had augmented that Nirvana album, the one with the woman with the, um, the invisible woman who's pregnant, the one. In utero? Yeah. Okay. So he, did like a more modest one for Walmart. Oh, really? And people were like, oh, you're such a sellout. And oh he was God. like, where do you think I got my albums from as a kid? This is a like white trash kid, like <laughs> right? Walmart. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's interesting because y- y- like you, it's a square, the record and the CD. And it's interesting like Instagram is also square like the things that you kind of like you have to think you think about when you're when you're doing something that's just like um, you needed to just like talk about the music and catch people's attention yeah yeah um, that you know uh, TikToks and Instagram reels where you whoever yeah. and many many folks are just on the street with a mic and yeah. asking passers-by a series of questions and maybe they take the same question of all the people and that's the content you get. Yeah. I would like to see somebody ask a, a series of like three questions. And the final question is, <laughs> can, how, do you have any way to confirm or deny that uh, ugly bitches do in fact have the best? Those in, right. You know, yeah. just, just to see what, anyway. Um, so dad's, into Nina Simone kind of stuff. Mom is less into music, but she liked um, like the Pogues and like was kind. Of, I mean, they were both really into songwriters. Oh, and you know, there's always like Johnny Mitchell, hmm. Joan Collins, um, Leonard Cohen. It was that kind of household. Okay, okay, and then Cindy Lauper for your first show. Do you remember yeah. the venue? Uh, was it Zim's maybe? Okay. I mean, I remember exactly what it looked like. I remember what I was wearing. Really? Yeah, I had like a tutu on and I was always like tearing my shirts off to let them fall off my shoulder. Like, nice. even though I didn't have a bra or boob, but like, <laughs> I just thought it was so great. And I wore like heart sunglasses and I think my lipstick makeup. Okay. Okay. Teased my hair out. Yeah. Danced in the aisle. Now, um... I'm interested in this idea of uh, the music that your folks or whichever your caretaker, whoever you're living with, you know, my guardians. <laughs> your, yeah, when you're when you're young, uh, it's 
it's you're not necessarily that aware. It's kind of like the furniture of the home. Yeah. Like it, and then eventually you wind up leaning or pivoting, and it's sort of that first step down the path of carving out your own taste. Yeah. Um, and conceptually, like I really love the the idea of the album. I know that in uh, 2023, it's not viewed or maybe even valued the same as it once was. Um, but I, but I'm interested in the idea of like first album loves or first album acquisitions that, uh, I, I don't know if you have one of those yeah. that not, not necessarily from your list, but one that is like, uh, uh, you, you bought it or you borrowed it or heard it at your friend's house and was, and really was like, wow, this is, this is something. I it was I would say the first album from stem to stern would be that uh, Jenny Mitchell Blue that album had a profound effect on me really and then um, definitely like the Trinity Sessions from Cowboy Junkies just the there were just like so many songs on it that spoke to me and and the way that it sounded I didn't know that it was recorded or any of I didn't know anything about anything sure. Um, and you know the Fuji's like that summer <laughs> of just like being in love with my life in my twenties, mm. just having a relationship with the memory of music. It's almost like the album itself can be trash, but if you had a good summer and you were listening to that album over and over again, it's sure. like it's just a good memory. Sure. It's like now that's another thing that I'm very fascinated by is uh, where one is. I know life and circuit everything's different for everybody right yeah um but being in your 20s is like you know i got two going on yeah just two decades in the rear view for for that and it's like um yeah it's wild because you know uh traditionally you know uh you're you're on your own for the first you're trying to figure out this is this is adulthood right like, really and so uh it's it's crazy because they're it's the rules are mostly up to you you know uh i'm, I'm within the law and yeah. and, and you know, res- being respectful of others and your surroundings and that sort of thing but it's nobody's telling you what to do anymore and you know that sort of thing um and i felt and this is i'm I'm logging many many hours uh under hospitality industry roofs from teenage through whatever all of my 20s um and i remember enjoying the liberty the the you know independence of of being that age but also feeling like every person that i interact with seems like they have shit figured out like they're grounded and they like understand like, and, and I did not. And I, on the outside, I was like, yeah, which I'm just like, you know, but on the inside, I was like, sort of like not getting the emails in your class and being like, what the fuck, how, but you were enjoying and, and loving your life in your twenties. And so it was, was across that decade for you. Was it, was that pretty constant, that feeling? Oh yeah. I mean, I like every day is, that I'm, I mean, I just, I love being alive. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's, you know, remarkable. Um, yeah, it's, even when it's a dark day. Like, okay. even when there's, like, doubt and anxiety, it's mine. Sure. 
And being an artist or being told I'm an artist <laughs> from a young, I mean, my work, it's like, you know, I've been told I'm an artist since I was like three. Like, you know, my drawings. You didn't say it first. It was said to you. Yeah, I mean, my, my drawings are in like books and when I'm three. Like I'm drawing like people like fucking and giving birth when I'm three. Like I'm just like drawing everything that I'm thinking about. Like not everybody draws things that they're thinking about. They're like trying to draw a unicorn or like a teddy bear with hearts coming out of its fists. Like I just really was processing what I was learning while I drew. And so um, I've just like had that. It's kind of like having a very volatile friend like that's never going to go away. You don't really want it to go away. But I don't, I mean, I've known, I've been told that I, based on what I started doing from a really, really early age, like when people are like, oh, I don't know what I want to do with my, my life. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what I want to, what the next step is, but I have always known um, this one thing about me. Like I've never really, I'd never thought I was a better artist. Sure. Um, I just always knew that people didn't need to draw and make things the way that I did. Okay. Now, correct me if this is, you know, uh, not the right assumption or leap to make, but is it possible that knowing that from a very young age, then sort of made the foundation for you to be loving your life in your 20s or, or hating it or or hating it yeah can you elaborate on that i mean it's not I mean, nothing's easy and i'm definitely not like a particularly grounded person like i'm not great with numbers or i'm i'm on time but it, it it's like it's not um you know like it's always like grass is always greener sure right like yeah. my friends were like oh like about this house and my 20s is a fixer-upper and then now i did this and like you know we have this savings and we're gonna go i mean i don't necessarily want to do what other people want to do but i do envy people their stability mm. and i married to i married to a musician so it's not um you know you're you're always kind of having to like wear lots of hats sure and like, okay, so like Jerry Salter says, like art is the ability to turn material into thought. Like where is the, where's the manual on turning material <laughs> into thought, you know? In here somewhere. Yeah, right. Or out there or right. in there. Like I see my husband like making new music and writing new songs and recording them. And um, like it's, it's just like this really perpetually intimate and vulnerable act. Perpetual and vulnerable. Yikes. That is, I mean, yes. So if you, if you're like, I mean, yeah, like the what people like kill themselves, like, like, or do something where they end their own life. And it's easy to get into um, the romance of addiction. Hmm. I mean, it's really, it's like really, cause like it's the stereotype of um, the artist like being flaky and, and uh, reliant on drinking or, you know, drugs. And, it, you know, there it, like that level of escapism is very, like, present. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's like a very much a, an environment where there's 
there's going to be booze and coke and pills and weed and like if you're inclined towards any of those things it's just like you just have to fight a little bit harder like if you're going to go work in an office job it's not going to be like two o'clock like hey anybody need a beer they want to do a bump yeah go take a shit right (laughs) it's just not like that right so i mean i don't know what but girl down the hall keeps getting (laughs) mad when i grab her ass when i walk past and tell her to well that's part of like what is being like revealed in the art world too it's like also this thing where um you know and it's really no different right right now where like you see um like these very weird dynamics where the gallerist's job used to be to keep people from seeing artwork unless they intended to buy it and I was like, Ferns Friday. <laughs> you, know? you show your work at Ernst Ferns Friday. And you're like, like, I don't know. It's just such a, it's such a. Why are you making my exhibit sound like Taco <laughs> fucking Tuesday, bro? Right. Or like, why am I, why is it my job to be like creating these images for the Board of Tourism, but I'm, we're not seeing any of it come. Like, like art itself is an 800 billion dollar industry it's nearly a trillion dollar industry like art is makes more money than sports okay if you think really music okay yes um, yes concerts you know dance like book writing book writing blah blah blah. theater who gets like we guess you know we, we just need to work a little bit into this and when, I mean, I can't deny capitalism. I was like raised in a capitalist society. This is a capitalist society. I'm not going to like resist capitalism. It's like, why don't I just like throw my head against the wall? But um, they, like these people who are just like holding the keys to the gate, like they could just like do better. Mm. When do you think that pivot happened to where it used to be you get to see the stuff if you're planning on? The 80s, you know, uh, like I see it with, you know, when you go to Art Basel or the Venice Biennale and you see that it just like takes so much money to import export art and so then it becomes like a smaller and smaller um group of people they get to see it and get to show it Mm. um and um and that is like i mean it's sort of like I mean, people used to really get paid to record an album. Right. It's it's not really any different. Like, right. it's like, it used to be that, like, I remember reading that story, like that, it was the biography, it was about the police. And the police had um, kind of like zoned in on swag. So like, and it was before kids had credit cards. So they would like be getting off these private airplanes with like garbage bags full of cash from, like lighters and t-shirts and are we talking sting and Stuart copeland yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and they're slinging their own merch yeah before before debit Josh cards cash. Cash. that's awesome right but there also used to be you know uh there used to be like money set aside for musicians to like hang out and eat pizza and record an album and like get into the album and make the album and now um there just isn't that there's just such a thing about syndication and popularity that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with quality or um, new music or live music. Integrity. Or, well, 
definitely not integrity. I mean, capitalism is not built on integrity. It's not. Right. Um, like really, it's not. It's it's based on something entirely different. Sure. And and um, I, I, yeah. I mean, I got into the these this like kind of top of the food chain really quickly because this person had the key to this place and this person had the key to this place and, um, you know. Yeah. You mentioned a second ago um, friends that are whatever, like, you know, bought this place as a fixer upper and so on and so <laughs> forth. Do you, are you a person that has uh, friends from all of your pockets? Like, do you still have, you know, San Francisco friends and college friends and friends from, you know? Yeah, I mean, I have friends from middle school. Okay. They, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a friend's friend. Cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, I just talked to my friend, Akena. Yesterday we've been friends since we were like eleven. Nice. Yeah, and um, he's actually he's a radio journalist. So. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. He's in San Francisco. Um, um, and yeah, I, I mean, I my high school ended up kind of moving out of a bigger, violent high school, and into this kind of small school in near San Francisco State, and it ended up be like mostly women, <laughs> mostly girls. Really? Yeah, it was like very small. It felt kind of like a private school. For like my last two years of school, and then, um, like I had a pretend sorority that I made up in college. It was called Theta Alpha Omega. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and there were like you know. I and how many members did your charter have? We <laughs> we were really we made people like people are not pleased with our our, our conceptual. Oh. Um, yeah, sorority. Okay. But, yeah, it was not well received, but mostly because instead of courting the young women who came into the art institute that would fit the stereotype of being sorority girls. We went more inclined towards like the weirdos. Like, mm, a lot of goths. No, it oh. wasn't really, there was more like this scene of like, I would say Muppety colored jackets and like piercings and bright colors, more like rave and, yeah, it wasn't much of a goth. Okay, okay. Scene. I see. Yeah. Um, are you a stand-up comedy fan at all? Um, if looking at Instagram and laughing in public is a fan of stand-up comedy, because I'm standing up and laughing, then yes. Do you? <laughs> you know Jim Gaffigan? Yes. He's got a great little. It's an older bit, but it's a great little bit about um, when you suddenly find yourself in a situation where you have to merged to friend groups uh-huh. and uh, he's like uh, you just kind of have to run in and say something last second hey uh, don't say anything about the uh, costume oh and uh, these people think I don't drink so here we yeah. are <laughs> do you ever find yourself in that situation where you have uh, folks from different friend yeah. pockets and here we all are together and we're that's just... like I think that's my job okay. <laughs> to bring those people I was together. wondering yeah yeah there's this really really I love jokes where both people are both sides of the you have the joke is that whatever a visual comes to your mind there's this joke like what's the difference between like a goth girl and a goth boy and it's 70 pounds oh and it's funny because it's just like it can go on either side right right, right. yes absolutely funny. yeah um but yeah i i mean i love that like last night i had dinner two nights ago at room 39 with huck 
who is a, owns a press and is an artist in St. Louis, and this other man named Tom who is a. You I'm know, sorry. Did you just say Tom and Huck from St. Louis? Tom Huck. Oh, oh, same person. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So and then so there are two Toms at the table. Okay. And um, one of them, I mean, is like a an amazing. He's amazing. He's a minute. He's an. He's like a writer and an art collector, and Tom Huck Huck is just like this. I'm. He's like a. I don't know. I mean, it's like who's the guy? Yosemite Sam. No <laughs> <laughs> biscuits are burning. <laughs> yeah, he's like that. Um, he's he's very much like that guy, and we were brought together, Tom Huck and I, Huck, by Jack Lemon at Landfall Press, and um. They, there's this project called the like the the landfall legacy project that's about to start up and we're sort of leading it and and that's what's great about like artists is just like some of them are from generational wealth and some of them are deeply um, impoverished and some of them are just suburban like silver spoon in their mouth kids some of them are like there's there's just it's such a it's such a funny population. There's and there's that job of yours constantly. Yeah, gluing. Yeah. Like artists kind of glue people together. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Are you a wood glue kind of a girl or Elmer's school glue? No. Rubber cement. Hey, all right. <laughs> Flexible. Yeah. Um how did you and your husband meet and how long have you guys been married? <laughs> oh dear. Um, how did we meet and how long have we been married? So I was uh, seeing a violinist named Christine Brebs. I was like so in love with her. And we went to go meet her friends, her college friends. And there was this band, the Harry Apes BMX, and they were headed in that direction. And so we got in this van full of musicians and Mike was eating raisins and had this like weird hair he was like i would find out later he was like going through withdrawal i think it was like 1996 or something like that and um he was kind of like dressed in that seattle like thermals and um vans and like shorts and a dirty shirt and i was like gross (laughs) (laughs) the raisins were the gross part right (laughs) yeah well you know i laughed because like we just moved and i was just like I would keep thinking there was like a bug or an ink spot or something. And it was always like a raisin. Like he's just like a, he eats cashews and raisins all the time. He's a very okay. healthy, very healthy um, person. And it's and is sober. Right. Um, and uh, thank God for, you know, the program because it's definitely saved a lot of lives, extended many and saved many. Um, and then we went. Our, um, Mike and Mark and I, Mark, we went on a road trip to Chicago and like Mike was all worked up and like being very brazen and I ended up falling in love with Mark Sutherland and we were married for 10 years. Um, Mike stood at our wedding. He he did what at your wedding? He stood at our wedding. Okay. Mike Dillon stood at our wedding. It's probably the only time I have ever seen the man in a tuxedo. And stood, does that mean part of the wedding part? Okay, uh-huh. okay. 
And just picturing like the whole, every, all the guests, everybody seated except him. No, no, he was, yeah, that, that would have not been an uncommon thing to imagine is him standing while everybody is sad because that's his nature. Uh, but he, um, they were in a band together. And so he was married and I was married and there was like nothing between us. I mean, we would. You both were married. Yeah. And okay. he would like go on these. um you know, we would go on these like long, we would be in like Berlin or we would be in Paris just walking around and we had a more similar pace and we would just talk about things and his mother is a teacher and he's very well read. So he, I really enjoyed talking to him and mm. getting to know him. I did some album covers for him. We would, we once got into a screaming fight over a deadline and then I was kind of over it, but he was over it too. It was just funny that... We didn't really care, but other people cared more than we did. You once got into a screaming fight over what? A deadline. A like, deadline, gotcha. Before anything, right? And then I divorced- I thought you said red line. I deadline, like, that's no, deadline. That's some artist shit I no, don't no, understand. No, it's not a secret. I'm not being secretive. And then we, I divorced my husband, and he- very politely and not in a gross way was kind of checking on me right and um i think because i had known him for so long he's like how are you doing how are you holding up and i was like i'm not mm. right so everybody else kind of like what you just said before you're kind of have to like pretend like everything is hunky dory because you you are your own everything and then um, he had broken up with his girlfriend of a very long time. And um, he, yeah, he came to Kansas City. Okay, okay. And uh, <laughs> what's that song, Let's Get It On, came on Spotify. And then we hooked up <laughs> that night. And then we got married five months later. Okay. And that was how long ago? Um, well, almost, it'll be six years in January. Okay, okay. And uh, yeah, his proposal was pretty great. He was, because yeah, I think because he had gotten older and, and like he had gray hair and he's just kind of a beautiful, like a conventionally handsome man um, and a handful. Um, he He was like, he woke up we woke up and we just kind of fell into a natural like rhythm sure. together like we lived very easily together okay and and um also i don't i'm not a restful sleeper and i like woke up in his arms like the first night like i literally he had held me all night like so for me that was just like a really weird thing hmm. and i kind of fell in love with him like overnight in a weird way and so i just kind of left him in my bed i was like i have to go get my groceries and i left my dog i was like can you walk the dog i gotta go so um, I really was surprised and he woke up and he said, um, he was, he asked me if I liked him. He said, do you like me? And I said, yes. And he said, do you love me? And I said, yes. And he asked me if I was going to change him. And I said, I don't have the time to change anybody, especially not you. And he said, well, I like you and I love you. So let's go do this before we're not sure. Right. So that we got married the next day. Um, we didn't tell anybody. Are you going to change me 
as opposed to, are you going to try to change me? Right. Are you going to try and change me? Oh, okay. Same. All right. Yeah. And, and. Are you going to try and change me? Are you, were you confident in your answer back to him that. I have no interest in trying to change Mike Dylan. You know, and he also has like a crazy, like he's really fiery and like, and gets really angry at the craziest shit. And like, I just have a very different temperament. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> like he'll just kind of like lose his shit on the situation. Like, you know, and I'll be like, wow, that's, wow, you're really angry about that. That's one way of dealing with that, you know, yeah. or reacting. But um, I, I like, I, it's not that I, it's like a record, right? It's like a record. Like there are, I've had boyfriends and lovers and you know girlfriends and whatever that like that I'm still friends with to this day because they didn't scratch the record, right? Yeah. Like I can go put that record album on and listen to it, enjoy it, and have the great memory of being with that person. And then there are other people where you're just like, I sold that shit to Exile like ten years yeah. ago. <laughs> Traded in or whatever. Sorry. Yeah. I needed a turkey sandwich. Yeah. So it's just that they're that like. Uh, like six years in January, January 10th we'll be okay. married and okay. so um, and it's I I guess being an artist is very lonely even when you're with somebody I can imagine it's a very lonely thing and you're the only person that knows the most um, and we promised each other we wouldn't get in the way of each other's art and and we've been really steadfast to that I mean I saw like I don't even know micro micro yeah second of that and was like I mean if that's, that's what it takes to make this then leave it be right yeah don't, don't poke yeah don't poke the bear yeah. don't scratch the record like yeah. yeah I mean that's the thing is like even on a day when we're both like really having an issue not even with each other we have um we kind of see like the the bigger picture. And we've both been married, you know. Right, right. And, there um, is that. I think that really kind of put it in perspective. Like, um, are you guys close-ish in age? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, how old were each of you the first time you got married? Roughly. I was thirty. Okay. I don't know. He's eleven years older than me. Okay. Um, and. Most of the men that I've dated have been older, okay, married, okay, older than me. Um, I'm, I don't know. I think it's like mental stuff, but I don't think it's like older men are more intelligent or smarter. I just think it's just what I'm attracted to. Sure, so, sure. Um, and I mean, how old were we? So I was like 22. The, so, the first time you got married. Oh no, I was 30 the first time okay. that I got married, but I was 22 when I met Mike. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Damn, you guys have known each other for a minute. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So when we got married, it was like to make like the metaphor like we knew how it could play out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh go back to the, you know, uh your 20s and I, I'm not I'm not trying to speak for the artist. Um, but you know, it's like, oh, you just kind of get kicked out of the high school system and you call it whatever. And then here you are, 23, 24, whatever. And it's like, okay, this is, 
I guess this is just this is it. This is li-. and and so okay, college house married kid. You know this, you know path, and uh, if you could go spend like three hours as a forty-four-year-old uh-huh. and just look back and be like, oh no, it doesn't have to. You don't have to walk down. You can you can go this way too. You know, just and, and I think a lot of uh, I mean, it's part of life and it's a it's a learning experience, but. Um, f- feeling this like yeah we're supposed to get married it's a thing that you do along this journey yeah like uh, again great le- life and learning experience but also in some situations like uh, you c- could have skipped that and and not you know no there is no way I mean I definitely needed to I had an amazing marriage okay like, I loved my first husband. Okay. He did not. Yeah, I didn't mean you. Oh, no, no. But like, I don't have any regrets. Good, good. And, and, um, and like, I, like, I run a lingerie shop. Like, I help. I saw that. Where is it? It's at 18th and Wyandotte. Okay. Um, I, I've been the artistic director. I, you know, I, Izzy Vivas is a artistic director of the West 18th Street Fashion Show, but I was artistic director for nearly two decades. Like, I'm really loyal to my ideas. Like, there have only been a couple of um, situations where, like, I really had to, like, make a difficult decision. Mm. And I mean, really, really difficult. Like, you know, I got married. I, I wanted to get married young because I wanted to have a child and be done with it. And I've never, that didn't happen, you know? And that's heartbreaking. Um, and I wanted to, like, you know, I wanted to work on this building in the West Bottoms with my father, but, like, he got Alzheimer's, and that's that was devastating, Damn. you know? And I wanted to be close to all my sisters but um you know I haven't spoken to my mother for 28 years and like I just kind of lost my first sister when I left home like it just was such a difficult pairing my mother and I were not well paired and so even though I'm like still really close with my stepfather and I really love his wife like it you know it it hasn't been like it's like it's really hard yeah (laughs) and I guess um you just have to put so much of it in. And, um, you know, I look at what's going on. I get, you know, you just have, you can't like watch the news. Huh. And, you, you know, you can't, um, you can't, like, you know, I grew up in San Francisco on 18th and Castro. Like, we lost so many people to AIDS. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And then my dad lived in Project Arto, which was this kind of like, communal creative space and like so many people died of AIDS there too um and it was just a time of like like really experimentation and of how to raise kids and how to eat food and like if you should or shouldn't do drugs and um I I mean not all the kids that I grew up with came out of it well right and um it's not like when things are wildy, wildy and culty and crazy that they're good. But then you get to the Midwest and you realize that these horrible things are going on behind picket fences, 
too. Right. So it, it's like you just never, you have to be really compassionate and empathetic um, when it comes to living because you really don't know what's going on. Right. And, you know, there have been moments where like, um, like, like I've really uh, had a couple of bouts with like extreme like cancel culture where Do you have? Oh yeah, yeah. And um like where like I had somebody like who I had given access to my Instagram and my um Oh no. break into my email and like Oh no. people have like accused me of things that I literally didn't do that like literally like by the word little they went into my email <laughs> and like so it's just um, I, what this? I mean, the trusted person that you gave this access to, and then they w- did something negative intentionally, mm-hmm. maliciously. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and now they're working for their like anti-trans, oh, gun-toting, real estate father. Like it's just you know you just you just it's like you just have to follow your instincts. Yeah. I mean, I was just sort of like really dubious of this kid and then if we're like oh give him a chance like he's gay and he's in a fundamentalist family like give him a chance it's like worst decision I ever made (laughs) but like that was a small fish of a mistake sure not like a big salmon I mean there are people that you know trust the wrong person and that's it yeah like I but it um yeah, I mean, it it hurts. Yeah. That's kind of the thing. And, I, and I, it's like you can be like tough as nails and appear very confident and just seem like you're just like right on, like, you know, along the right path. Um, but, you know, I have access to some of the most, I have access to my, to my idols. Okay. Right? I really do. Okay. Like I have access to my idols. And um, that doesn't mean I did anything better than somebody else. Like, um, yeah, I'm not even a degree, a degree of separation away from people that I want to know. I'm friends with people who are, are very, very talented and successful. Cool. Um, and that can be so amazing and exhilarating, but also it can be so painful. <laughs> I bet. Right? Gosh, I'm, I'm, I imagine that I can't even imagine Mm -mm. the ways in which that could play out yeah and like um i was on i I was on a reality tv show right so i came in second on that reality television show and 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 i'm so glad that i did that because it just really opened up my eyes to so much of what we were talking about earlier about like about capitalism Mm. and about accessibility kind of again with the kurt cobain thing Mm mm-hmm um, <laughs> where do you think I got my CDs? Where do you think I got my music? Where do you think I bought my music? Yeah, my music. Yeah. Where do you think I bought my music? And now that's been over 10 years. And I, I, you know, I'm meeting people who were like, oh my God, like I watched Work of Art when I was in high school. Like, you know, I can't believe like I get to talk to you. And it's just television. And do you want to touch me? Yeah. <laughs> but it makes, you know, it, what makes somebody become an idol? It's like, oh, they have a show at the Guggenheim or. They play at Carnegie Hall, Carnegie Hall or the or the Kennedy Center and like, you know, um, or there's like, you know, they have this many viewers or they have, sure. so they sell this much artwork and, or they sell this many albums. Like, 
I'm married to somebody who's like on a platinum album. Kick ass. Like I get to hang out with these incredible musicians and watch them be human. I, you know, I looked up to Ani DeFranco like mm. I hang out with Ani DeFranco. Ani DeFranco is an amazing human being. And like her her life and kids are just so incredible. And so that's just like the veil moves. It's like the Wizard of Oz. It's just people. Right. People being people. Right. Well, I, I really like uh, in a number of different ways how you've uh, touched on either directly or indirectly and, in, in, you know, to be who you are today, things X, Y, and Z needed to happen or, or, or you're grateful that they did, not that they needed to. But, you know, I, uh, my folks split somewhere between five and seven somewhere in that window and it was tough um i mean everything was fine but right. it was tough because i just that, the only thing i wanted i couldn't have and so at some point along uh you know my my growth and and development did I would, they remarry no i mean yes not each other yeah but other people yeah yeah um, quickly or slowly very i, th I think very quickly, very quickly and, and in yeah. the same year yeah. Like, oh, oh, Same. You, well, come fast. Here. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. <laughs> uh, and and strangely, uh, her new husband uh, was immediately transferred to Atlanta, and so we were we were gone. You know, and my my dad was like, you know, heart, kind of heartbroken. Um, now it, we were only there for three years because that marriage ended as well, uh, and then we came back. Um, but still. Uh, so, so it's like before they get married and, and they're like, I started wanting that. And then while we're here in Atlanta, I wanted that. And then we come back and now he's remarried and, and has got two, two kids. And, uh, at, at that point I was kind of like, well, I can't really unearth everything that he has going on. Like, you know, I was trying to play detective and matchmaker and wear all these different hats to like, I know, some, I know you become somehow. really good at like, well, you just become really good at navigating back and forth. Yeah. So I decided at some point that uh, the way to heal that was to for sure uh, not, you know, once I'm married with my own kids to not get a divorce. And then uh, I met somebody and I'm dating somebody and like just early and often announcing that like, I'm going to marry him. And I was like, me you know and, and then and then we did get married yeah and she didn't want kids and i was like wait we gotta like hash a few things out before we get it, married yeah and so you know it, strangely like i i one by one talked to her and like you know you know she, pushing in the direction of engagement i'm like wait there's so much to fucking like for example and we were like <laughs> i'd moved into this split level uh home uh by umkc for grad school and we were on the it was one of these you walk up onto the porch and there's two front doors because this is the it's one house that they've cut in half and so mine has a, a one half next to the house yeah. number and we're and we're standing i was like for example we haven't even this is literally what I, we haven't even talked kids and she's like yeah, i don't, I don't want to have kids and i was like the, the, the conversation's over like yeah. and a number of months later it's like, you know, we're talking, I don't know, about something completely random. And she's like, okay, 
one bio, one adopted. And I was like, did you just say that to me? Like, what do you, wait, are you bringing the kids? Th-? And I was like, no, like I want, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then another handful of months later, I'm like folding laundry or something. She's like, all right, I'll give you two. And I was like, okay, you know, and then, uh, fast forward these years later and we get divorced and it's like, do you shit. have kids? Yeah. How many? Two. Oh, oh, they're so cute. Thank you. Like uh, they really are. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. Right. I know. Like uh, it, they're really pretty. Yeah. Uh, sprinting to thirteen. I mean, yeah, yeah. she'll be thirteen. In well, a, she's she's beautiful. In a second, she looks Russian. <laughs> uh, and he he just turned ten. Um, but you know, uh, it's it for a small handful of years like i couldn't even see like where how am i gonna chisel away at this darkness that i that exists because i failed at this construct in my head from and it's fine finally it's like it's okay forever is a long time (laughs) forever is a long time yeah and it's like it's it's okay how long have you been divorced uh since 2021 but we took forever yeah. to make it happen i mean so we separated in 18 congratulations thank you thank yeah. you um and it's like it, the other side of it is um i mean they're the they're you know they're pretty great yeah they are um, great look at them they're and, super cool people and also i'm like so thankful that i'm not married to her yeah. anymore um but you got kids yeah yeah and sometimes people are just put together to make another person, it's totally fine. Yeah, it's not a big deal. It's been happening since the beginning of time. I know, but it's yeah. like uh, you know, I w- I couldn't get out of my own way and look at all the things and be like, but everything's fine. No, yeah, you know no, what I'm saying. I was like I we I think we were together for like five years, and I was like breaking up with him. <laughs> what do we propose? I should have just been like, you know what? But then you just get into that same loophole, and you're. That you have to get married, you know? I mean, I don't even know. I just, I didn't, like, um, I'm obviously, like, I'm I'm a big advocate for choice, but I didn't, I never wanted to, like, get married because I was pregnant and I didn't ever want to have an abortion. So it just was, like, this weird point in my life where I was, like, well, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, you know, like, yeah. it was not, it was... It was like past the point of um, spontaneous romance. It was just like, I was just kind of like exhausted because I should have just realized that we wanted different things. And and even even with then we had great adventures and we went to great places and did sure. things. And um, it's just when it really came down to the basic, what we both wanted, we wanted really different things. And you can be with somebody for a decade and want, you can be with somebody your whole life. You know, you look at people that are like these like sad sacks of fucking rice bags, <laughs> like, you know, grinding against the ground their oh, whole man. life because they're like Catholic and they're going to go to hell if they get a divorce. And you're just like, oh, girl, you know, you're just like drained of life. Yeah. Well. It's just funny that, and it does. My marriage isn't even like the beginning. Like people that are like just boyfriend and girlfriend, and like, come on, man! Like, what are you? Just look like, just like whatever. You just have lost 
your form. You've lost your energy. You're yeah. just like broken down. Well, I just, you know, I, I think you can only arrive at this point by, by walking the path and living the life. But, uh, if, if there's, if there was a way to know in youth that just because things don't go the way you think they're going to go or envision them to go, like things can still be Okay. okay. It's okay. Yeah. That's yeah. what I always tell people because I have a lot of young employees and I have a lot of young friends and I say, they're like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm like, it is, it is okay. It's okay right now. It's okay. Yeah. You're okay. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> and I, also it's like, it's okay not to be okay. Right. Right. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay. Yeah. Now, if you cross from one season into another and you, that hasn't shifted at all, you should, maybe consider getting away from each other because that's okay too yeah 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 yeah. um so i'm very grateful that you uh gave me a list of records Mm -hmm. um and if memory serves uh folks have kind of tended to fall in three camps it's like one you know is oh like how it's like choosing my favorite kid and i'm gonna just gonna have to take it's like okay dude you just you take whatever and some folks that are like cool let me think about it and then they're like here you go so they thought about it for a minute yeah and then there's some folks that are like they've been waiting for somebody to ask them they're like here and it's like oh shit and i think you were in the middle yeah. like it didn't take you weren't super quick and you didn't take forever and yeah. that's all that's always uh i mean i love all three camps right but but that's a it's a, it's a cool one um and so if we run through them uh chronologically in release order we go back to what dad was into with nina simone uh-huh 1965 put out 19 records 7th of 19 wow 12 tracks 34 minutes um, my ask was for you to tell me about your discovery of her. I now know that, uh, dad being around dad basically. Uh-huh. Um, but this, did he have, uh, other out? Did, was this one in the home and is that why it's special to you or is there a different story? Actually, the one that was in the home and played the most was, and this is one that I like, but it was the, the Porgy and Bess, the one with summertime on it. Okay. Okay. And um, when my dad was coming to an end, I was walking up the stairs, the Bauer building across from my business, and I heard somebody singing it, that version of that song, Summertime. And as I walked up the stairs, I thought, oh, that's the person who's going to perform at my father's funeral, right? So I get into the room And there's this like six foot eight, like very decorated harp player. Harp? Harp. Okay. Singing. Six foot eight. (laughs) Yeah, very, very tall. And um, maybe not that tall. I always say six foot eight in heels. Okay, okay. But I remember thinking, oh, okay, that guy. And I would find out a couple days, maybe a week later who it was. I just didn't push it. And um, it came to you organically who he was? Calvin Arsenia. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So we become like deep friends, collaborators. Um, and he is actually who has taken over Greenwood Social Hall. Why do I know that name? Uh, that's where I lived for seven years. Okay. And hosted a lot of live concerts. Really? Uh huh. Cool. And. So he moved in this month, 
And he has a really incredible lineup of uh, musicians. And most of the time, if I'm around and he's doing a concert, he'll play Summertime. Oh. Yeah. Like even when my dad couldn't remember how to talk, sometimes he'll like send somebody around to like sing songs to people who have dementia and Alzheimer's. And he would sing those words. He knew those words. Whoa. Yeah. So like just a really deep... And it's specifically that version of that song. Mm. Um, so that's just kind of this who knows why. But I love that song and I love the record, the sound of the record turning. Mm. And just like Nina and her very, very uh, rich uh, political career. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculously activism intelligent yes, woman. <laughs> yes. And uh no she didn't she, you know yeah, like a real like fuck around and find out kind of woman. <laughs> <laughs> and I just you know, like as she grew old just watching her um you know, in in it was like an opportunity for my father to talk about class and racism and mm. um and uh, he was uh, my my dad was a real he was a real activist so okay. and, and a really authentic one like like on a personal level like cool. really helped people out didn't it wasn't like it wasn't about like um he, it wasn't performative sure yeah right. uh, his my grandfather was a Holocaust survivor so my oh, grandfather wow. was a real um, down to earth what's acceptable and not acceptable kind of human being um and he had three kids and um they're all just really incredible human beings probably because he got that shit in his marrow and his dna yeah. and then the, 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 his offspring yeah came out with it uh-huh <laughs> nice yeah. so i was the first grandchild in the family okay very cool yeah really cool i got to know my great-grandmother wow yeah i mean on my on my um my grandmother's side my great-grandma esther so um yeah and so it's funny how like whenever i hear that song i think of him summertime yeah which was on the album that he had yeah and 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 you found this one i just like how the the one like just you know when you hear a lot of songs i like even something like bob marley when you're young and like there's all these bob marley songs you don't realize they're all bob marley songs it's like the same with um nina simone like like all these songs that I would like to like sing along to and listen to. And then I would find out they were like her songs, mm, okay. right? Cause they were covered by so many people. Sure. Yes. Um, yeah. It's like Marvin Gaye, yep. same kind of thing. Yep. You're like, you know, you're like getting turned on in the middle of the day by a Marvin Gaye song. It's like, Oh yeah, it's Marvin Gaye. Right. Um, but like, yeah. Um, just a, an amazing, like, you know, Prince was such a great songwriter. You know, everybody, like, you know, Sinead O'Connor covering his music. And just, I think, you know, even like, what is it, that Johnny Cash song? Um, Hurt. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Trent Reznor. Yeah, Trent Reznor. That's Johnny's song now. So amazing. Right? It, is. it so really good. is. But I, I love that I'm married to somebody who just has like such a deep understanding of music because I'm kind of like a dum-dum when it comes to music. I just like, I I sometimes like (laughs) bad music just like I like 
bad art. Like, it's not that I, I, I like, I kind of, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not as, um, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't put my taste in things on a, on a pedestal. Okay. <laughs> right. Good. Um, I don't think that my taste is better. And I know things that I don't like, but sure. I got no problem with somebody else liking them. Right. And I love popular music sometimes because I don't like pop music. I like music that's popular. And and I don't always like, I like, I don't like pop art, but I'm always curious why things are popular. I'm, I love the idea of popularity when it comes to images and audio and like, why do a lot of people, why do a whole lot of people like one thing? So you can say, oh, the machine that is capitalism or like, oh, marketing, oh, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's a more complicated than that. Yeah. Like you can put a lot of money behind something. It doesn't mean it's going to work. Right. Right. Yeah. So in the end, you have capitalism and in the end, you have somebody who has an advantage. But, you know, sometimes it's like it's the American dream, like the most disadvantaged person. It's just like, you know, Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder are on the same label. I mean, mm. like what? Like you don't realize how time is you know, Anne Frank and like Barbara Walters and Martin Luther King were born the same year. Like time is crazy. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Wild, right? Holy smokes. Time is a crazy thing. Yeah. Well, uh, Tom Segura. Yeah. Um, he, in one of his specials, has a bit where he talks about how uh, it's super fun to talk in your best aggressive black guy voice huh. and i recommend that you try it when you're out in public and there's jokes that go along with it but it, the bit ends with uh him pulling up he, he's, he's getting dropped off or he's pulling up to the airport to, to get on plane and this huge limo pulls up in front of him and he thinks it's like a, a bachelorette party or something like that and big daddy kane gets out Okay. And he goes, Sup, Kane? <laughs> like he didn't even, like the words came out before, and An Big idiot. Daddy Kane's <laughs> yeah. head whipped around, and he's like, Oh, shit. And then so he did too. Like it wasn't him. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a hilarious bit. Um, <laughs> like somebody else said it. Yes, yeah. yes. And yeah. so eventually he, had, he has a podcast with his wife. They had Big Daddy Kane on, and so they, of course, talked about that bit. And at one point, he asks him who, who he's, he's listening to these days. And this is probably four years ago, five years ago. And one of the artists he listed was Nina Simone. Uh. Um, and so when I have a happenstance thing like that, like I'll add, you know, a, an album of that artist to my, but that I, I just like kind of roll around all the time on shuffle. Yeah. Unless I'm feeling like something specific. So I've had some Nina Simone in my stuff, but I've never intentionally sat down and listened to a record until now. And so I'm super grateful that yeah. it was on your list. Have you, did you ever listen to, there's this great song. It's on, it's a Bobby Gentry. Listen to a Bobby Gentry album sometime. Okay. Put okay. that on your list. There's one song in particular, Fancy, that's just like, so well written. That's B O B B I E, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, um, it's a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So that great stuff, great starter, and we go. We take a big leap from 1965 all the way to 1988. Trandy Sessions. Is that what it was? Cowboy, Cowboy oh my Junkies. God. Um, this is two of twenty for them, including 
one from this year, which I didn't know that they had been just continuing to crank them out. 12 tracks, 52 minutes. I've always loved this record. It's uh, amazing. Because as a young whatever, I was like, I'm at some point going to kiss Margot Timmons on the, on the mouth and yeah. she's going to enjoy it. Um, and I really, uh, Sweet Jane was, I would go to it over and over again. Such a great song. Until I um, I could feel burnout coming. Yeah. And so then I kind of. And then you watched Natural Born Killers. <laughs> no, and then I relaxed and like took in, actually took in the rest of the record. Yeah. And um, it's always, almost always uh, kind of dripped like homesick or yeah. sadness onto me and yet I don't turn away from it. Well, it's got, there's also like, it's got a bit of that, that Lucinda Williams feel to it too, mm -hmm. where you're just like, there are some songs where, you know, it hurts like that too. And anything really by Elliot Smith where like, mm. it just sort of grinds you to the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like... <coughs> Petrichor, it smells like mm. um you can taste the music, right? Petrichor is like it's gonna it's gonna rain. Yeah. It sm smells like rain, right? Yeah. Isn't that what it yeah. okay? Great word. It's one of my you know, it's the it's the most I read a couple months ago that it's the most it's the thing that our species is the most sensitive to. What? Yeah. That the smell I, of that rain ion, that ionic smell, the rain in the air. Is our species like, every like we are so sensitive to that smell? <laughs> it doesn't matter Whoa. where in the world. Yeah, I thought it would be a Mexican place that's frying chips in no. the morning before they open. No, I'm just, just no. cool. So, what was your discovery of this one? Um, just I remember it's usually for me like I hear a couple of songs and people are like oh that's so and so oh that's so and so and then I go. And get the album. Yeah, right? it's come, it starts coming up, and you're like, all right, I oh, gotta do God, something. Right, right. Yeah, and then when I, I really made a point of like listening to the whole thing together, right? And um, it's just one of those albums that needs to be listened to from the beginning to the end, for sure. And there's something I'm not a person that knows these things, but there's something about the mix or the production level that just really give it this vibe. It was of, in a church. It was recorded in a church. That's why it's called the Trinity Session. The oh. whole thing was recorded in a church. Okay. Yeah, which I can't, I've got a bilateral lisp. It's hard for me to say church. And my husband also has his fucking lisp. The, sorry, I keep saying bad words, but it's hard okay. for me to say CH and SH with vowels. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so church. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I did not know that, um, but it has always felt uh, like you could assemble the best teams of engineers and sound and make, and <sighs> they wouldn't be able to quite get yeah. that sound. Right. Very cool. Mm -hmm. um, have you beyond this one uh, kept up to speed with them or? Not really. Okay. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> Not but, awful. No. I mean. There's like this book by Catherine Dunn. It's called Geek Love. It's one of my favorite books, right? Like I love epic tales of wild situations like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, mm. like stuff like just give me a book that's like compounded with visual stuff, like whatever. Like I'll read my Malcolm Gladwell and like I'll read my stuff about, you know, the man who's thought his wife was a hat. Like I love brain stuff, but <laughs> like I really, I just have like, I will listen to the same album over and over, okay. and over again. Yeah. 
And like I had a, I had a, um, her name's Hadley Clark now, but I had a studio partner once who was the same. We had listened to the same song over and over again. Like, it's like, I think some people just to really learn a song, it's like, you just have to, if you, especially if you're not that, um, you know, I'm not, I can't learn languages easily. Like it's hard, either. like my sister, like, in, you know, friends who can just like speak, learn one language and learn the next language. It's just, my brain's not, the, I'm, yeah. I'm working on that, right? I'm working on that part of my brain. Sure. So for you me. meet somebody yeah. that's like, uh, Spanish and then French <laughs> and then German and now I'm Mandarin. It's like, what? Cool, I can draw you a squid. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a drawing of a squid? <laughs> I actually I got even, a little yeah. vial of squid ink <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. I don't even need to draw, to look at the squid <laughs> to draw it. I can just draw you a squid. <laughs> that's how I feel about that. Like, right. Wait, what can you draw though? You know, I mean. Right whatever yeah well uh moving on to another one uh that came up earlier and we jumped from 88 to 96 with the score mm. by the fujis oh this one second of two for them 13 tracks 60 minutes um and i have i have you know followed their videos are beautiful and i have like kind of kept track of I guess not. I guess never have like loved an album as much as this one. I have such a great memory of it. Well, um, I discovered their first album, "Blunted on Reality." I think it's called. I've listened to that way after, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is pretty good too." It's weird that it zero blips on the radar, and then this thing just boom. It was that summer. You remember? I mean, it was the summer. It was the summer of like 1996. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't like walk into a restaurant and like, oh my God, ready or not? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like stuck in like the folds of the, what is it, the convolutions of my brain. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I remember it was Kansas City. Um, I was making it. I was making it as an artist. You know, by 98, I was in five major museums. So everything that I made. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, my God. Now, 98 would be when uh, Miseducation of Lauren Hill comes out. With, Amazing. Okay. Yeah. But more special for you this than that? Yeah. Yeah, this is it. Because I think it's what I was listening to when I was, like, figuring out. Figuring it out. Okay. You okay. know. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is the music that helped me get to point B. And I don't know. I feel like I learned something from it. Right. And it was very subtle. Yeah. Well, and and maybe indescribable or nameless. Yeah. In a, in a sense. But, but you still, it's like a trinket. Mm -hmm. And it goes in your backpack, backpack of yeah. life. Mm -hmm. And you know it's there. And you, yeah. anyway. I remember just like, you know, hanging out with Christine. She was living in this apartment that was like a, used to be a brothel mm. on Oak. Like they had like Murray beds and it was like, it was a brothel. The house is from the 1800s and Tim Prince ceiling hallway. Yeah. The bed that is a closet to, yeah. and you just Don't slap it down and do your thing. And yeah. And so. I was going to change those sheets. Hold on. Too late. No need. Um, <laughs> It cost you. Right. Um, but, yeah, I guess I remember like listening to that and like her smoking weed, me not really smoking weed. And just like, yeah, like they had gigs at Le Fou Frog. My friend Bo at Bledsoe and I were just like, 
I was making their posters, learning to make posters regularly, finding out gigs. Cool. And just, yeah. There was a gig, or there used to be gigs at LeFou Frog? Yeah. Can you imagine? No. Can you imagine the insanity? If you can imagine the insanity of a gig at LeFou Frog, then you can pretty much survive everything. (laughs) (laughs) I think Christine was fired like six times from her gig. I mean, I just... In front of everybody. (laughs) Right. I just wrapped up. Uh, 10 year career uh, selling uh, groceries and whatnot to restaurants and hotels and schools. Oh, you should just tell, you should have an entire podcast dedicated to Mono. Well, and right. Back. And <laughs> so, one. so yeah. uh, hilarious. When I'm back in Kansas City in 2000, and, and, and the guy that's my rep yeah. at the restaurant I'm chefing, and he's, uh, he had that account back then and, had like literally a hot skillet yeah, or a hot pot yeah. yeah get the fuck out and, and uh, water on the brain that's what i've been told water on the brain that means that means that there's something <laughs> not firing correct was that i don't know i mean i know them i mean their family and their kids and just like it was just it's such a yeah it's wild 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 times. Yeah. I mean, Christine would just, I mean, I ate a lot of mussels and cream sauce <laughs> that summer. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Um, from 96 to 2004, Animal Serenade, Lou Reed. I had not ever even <sighs> so heard of this beautiful. one. Um, and it's a live album. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you a Velvet Underground fan? Yes, sir. Okay. And then... The studio stuff that Lou Reed put out, fan of that as well. Yes, sir. And then what is, if if you like those two bodies of work, what is it about this live record that warrants I guess I like live recording. Okay, okay. I mean, I'm starting seeing a pattern here. (laughs) Um, I I guess I like live recordings because there's some, there's a continuum. I mean, like, there's like that Ten Thousand Maniacs record that I like mm. too. That's got it. That's a live recording. The unplugged one. Yeah, okay. that one. Okay, I like that one too. Sure. So I, maybe I just like like the background breathing and the stuff that you can't totally eliminate, like that palimpsest, right? Those mm-hmm. layers mm-hmm. that um, you can like, probably get a better read on a room now than you could then. Who knows? Sure. I don't know. I think well, there's, you know, whatever. There's a very, I think, intentional uh, s- storytelling feel to the way that this one starts. Yeah. And kind of... Yeah, I used to have Linger On tattooed on my fingers, but they literally knowing that... I hate that I keep saying literally. I'm so sorry. Please take that out. Um, yeah, I had Linger On tattooed on my fingers, my fi- knowing it would fade. Um yeah, Candy says. Oh. If one tattoos one's fingers, it eventually goes away. Yeah. Yeah, their their only thing left is the O and not even fully. Yes. Huh. L I N L I N G E. L I N G. Yeah, linger on. Yeah, it's like I had them on my fingertips. Now that's uh like a, a, a tongue in cheek gesture right linger on yeah. and eventually it's gone yeah wow what age how old were you when you had the insight to that make... was 2017 okay okay 2016 right 2017 right yeah um well that one was very enjoyable too and um 
we take a smaller, well, it's still a decent leap. Uh, gosh, I didn't write. Yeah, it is. To 2016. Yay! Functioning broke. Mike Dillon. <laughs> My baby. 12 tracks, 34 minutes. Um, so I'm going to try and be as brief as I can here. Okay. Uh, two episodes ago, um, I had the daughter of a former friend come in from St. Louis to do an episode. Okay. And we hadn't seen each other in like 20 years. She's been through a lot of stuff. Um, and a lifetime ago when I was friends with her father, he, uh, we, we used to smoke a lot of weed and play uh, video game hockey. Okay. And, and listen to music. Why aren't you friends anymore? <laughs> so that, okay. How okay. much time you got? I don't know. <laughs> um, and I came over at one point and he was like, you, you got to listen to this. Mm-hmm. And I handed me a copy of uh, Les Claypool's Fearless Flying Frog Brigade. Frog Brigade. And it's two disc live performance covering, I think it's two, maybe it's only one disc. One of the, di- if it's two discs, then only one of the discs is, is Pink Floyd Animals uh-huh. in its entirety. And I was like, well, all right, whatever. Like, what is this band covering? You know, and I Pink went Floyd, home yeah, and I, I was band. like, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that is super, super fucking good. Yeah. Um, a few, two episodes before her, uh, a, a girl, uh, service industry, 20 years ago it's been a long time since we had seen one another she comes on and uh just ha- mentions um oh they were just the you know flying for they were just here you didn't go i was like i didn't even know <laughs> holy shit yeah that's crazy um and then whenever we start talking i'm like wait a minute what <laughs> in the actual fuck is happening right now like this is really you know and then to cap it all off the new letters thing i was like all right man there's yeah. a whole lot of anyway um, activity yes this is, this is i'm not it's not a braggadocious thing this is just like a very common thing like this is a common thing like I, in your life in yeah, your world I think if you're just per- constant if you're in a state of always trying to garner things to connect then things are just going to connect okay interesting and should one try to garner things to connect or just it doesn't matter. It's kind or, of my job. Okay, yeah, back to the yeah friends and glue. yeah, <laughs> yeah electric <laughs> electric glue yeah. Um. So I say all that to say that for no reason whatsoever, uh-huh. when I discovered that this Mike Dillon character, I was like, I bet his all of his shit is heavy and hard. <laughs> Flower. And I put this on and I like, I'm like, did I, what, you know, did I press the right button? Yes. I swear to God. Yeah. And I was like, surely this is some kind of like, uh, we're, we're, we're going to zig right after you think we're zagging and track two is going to pivot or, or something (laughs) that's not. And then I was just like, Oh wow, this is wonderful. Um, and so Tell t- tell me. I mean, you've obviously heard a bunch of. My- I mean, I listened to it over and over again. Um, he had asked me if I had time to do the record cover, and I I sent 
something, but I didn't have a lot of time. Like I ended up something, he ended up using that image for something else. Oh. But um, he sent me the album to listen to, right? These Elliot Smith songs and some of his own songs. And I always think about Mike Dillon as like, uh, you know that, because I also have a subscription to the New Yorker. Okay. Because <laughs> of my stepfather. Okay. It's like something we do. We like it's a thing. I grew up with the New Yorker in my house and my grandmother's house and my stepfather's house. And so um that in Bizarro, right? Or like also like the um the two uh polar bears and the polar mm. bears like I love these things. They're really <laughs> crunchy on the outside and squishy on the inside. <laughs> Is it a person? Yes, my husband. Oh. That's Mike Dillon. Okay. okay. So he's just like, he's just, I, I, it wasn't until this album came to fruition where I, I realized like, wow, this person is really, has this really gentle, interesting side to them. And I, you know, when we're traveling from Kansas City to New Orleans, there is a limit on Elliot Smith because I will get just so depressed. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, and be like, okay, it's been Elliot Smith for two hours. Like I need an Elliot Smith. It's about an hour and a half too long. Yeah, it's, you can get really blue. Yeah. You can get really sad, you know. Um, and then it's like on to the Queens of the Stone Age. Mm, so okay. that's cool. I think, uh, would you please hold up that printout for the camera? Uh, I don't, I don't think I even said it. Functioning broke. Functioning broke. Mike Dillon. Yeah. 2016. 2016. And, um, definitely, um, a really, and these are his, this is him playing. These are him mallets playing mallets. Yeah. And, um, I think he wanted to have like one of those sort of like old tiki covers like those. Like I know the aesthetic that he was going for is pretty cool. Like velvety, yeah. right? Um, and those are like, he has like very beautiful considered tattoos. Mm. Lots of like Indian gods and different things. And I, my favorite animal is an elephant. So I okay. always loved okay. some of the things that he has on him. Um, and... Yeah, um, there. It's a very soft and complicated album. Yeah, and um, it. I was at the end of all, like what I thought my life was going to be. I think it really spoke to me. Like I'm just thinking about it now, and even the idea of the dichotomy of functioning broke. Like I was broken. But I was functioning. I was broken and I was functioning. And I was listening to this album and um, I had a very like difficult and volatile relationship in between. Mm. I'm sorry. Me too. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, definitely one of those humbling ones where like, oh, this is why people go back. And I was listening to this album and then he was politely checking on me and mm. his, you know, he was engaged and that was falling apart. And I was divorced and whatever I was in was perpetually falling apart i was falling apart i was falling to pieces 
and maybe we got married quickly because we just knew each other so well. And then one day, she was there. Yeah, <laughs> he was right next to me. I even I re- I remember my friend Margaret had like recommended this a uh, therapist. It's like a somebody in Colorado who was her therapist, and I could. It's like a phone call and there was like tapping and all these things. Mm. And it was like e- EMDR. 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 And um, I made like, that was supposed to make a list of what I wanted in a partner moving forward. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and I was supposed to keep the list on me and tell this person what I wanted. Right. So I made the list <laughs> and they said that that was not the same person, that that was going to be one person, that that wasn't a person, like, right? And then um, when he came to town, I, he opened up, and I was like, you're staying in the guest room, like none, none of this fun, whatever. And he opened up the door, and it was raining, and it was like this, he was kind of like covered in sparkles, and because of the rain, it was like he had some of his gear and stuff like that. And I, I... I had been listening to the album and not even thinking anything of the list. And then he walked in and I was like, oh, shit. You know, there's the list. <laughs> in the flesh and yeah. blood. There it is. Wow. Yeah. When I finished listening to this, I was like, I think that was like a blanket for me and I would like to have it. <laughs> Just wherever I go, just in case. Yeah. Most days I probably won't need it, but I still want to know it's there. Yeah. It was like that. It was comforting. I was blown away. Yeah. Um, it made me, it made me very, um, it's not a peaceful album. It's not? It's, it's more, um, it is maybe, well, so, how about soothing? It's soothing. Okay. It's sad and soothing. Okay. And it soothed me. And, uh, uh, yeah, I didn't know. So, Me either. I didn't know. Um, so thank you again for uh, not only being here, but for giving me such a cool list. Um, I have one uh, closing segment I call Five Funny Finishers. And it's okay. just goofy questions. Ready. Um, but I thought uh, if you would please run through all the deets on your uh, show that closes on the 23rd one more time so that in case somebody missed it in the beginning. Yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of a twofold. It's like, I would go on a Thursday. Um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because Blue Gallery is open, and it's like, I think it's like 10 to 4, 11 to 4, something like that. And then uh, Studio Sync. So it's Blue Gallery and Studio Sync. And... I know that this will come out after the 16th, but I have Jose Faust and uh, Hadara Barnavar reading and Mike's going to be performing with them at noon. So I will have a recording that I will give you that recording so you can sort of pull from it. Okay, cool. Like I've Chad Mize is helping me. Hey, I went to high school with him. Oh, he's amazing. He sat behind me in uh, chemistry class. Or no way. Freshman science class. You have to interview him. I've We've communicated. Oh, he's amazing. And then best his, stories in Kansas City. And then his dad, uh, his dad, band used to gig every Thursday night at the restaurant that I chefed for like eight years. No way. And then Hadara uh, was uh, 
she and Christy Hodgen were both uh, being, they were coming in as uh, potential uh, UMKC professors as my program was ending. And so we as, you know, <laughs> seniors in this two-year program got to like do round table. Wow. Not, not that we were like interviewing. Yeah, but you got to see the process. See the process and then, you know, we could leave feedback with the people that. Well, you should come to that on the 16th if you're free. It's Sa- an hour. Saturday the 16th? Yeah. Um, it, it, noon. It's at noon. Seventeen oh eight Campbell. Seventeen oh eight Campbell. If you can. Um, and how it only goes till one. Yeah, I mean it's not going to go long. Right. Like I want it to be short and sweet. Okay. Yeah. Do you have your kids? I do. We have tutoring, and then I was asked Monday morning when we woke up, "Is it on your radar that we're getting a tree on Saturday?" Yes. I mean, I well, you know. can get a tree downtown. I'm just saying. And I don't think that it's going to be, it's not like either of them are, I don't know. I think, I don't think it's, I don't think you should exploit your children, but I think it's important to expose children to this. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. If it were, if it were, and then at, Maybe. at 130, 130 is our transition time. So I got to hand them off to. Okay. Their, their so mom. no. But if, if it, if it works, we'll for sure. Yeah. Um, did we cover all the pieces to the show? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you can go to my website, which is actually probably updated since you last looked at it. Okay. Because okay. I, I don't even, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I worked on it for about four months, so okay. it's okay. pretty new. Okay. Um, and that's got a lot of the information about the work. Um, if you're listening to this in Dubai. <laughs> 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 Uh, so yeah, that's, that's covered. And I'm, I'm hoping to start like be a part of this landfill legacy project. So that's, cool. that, that's just like such a beginning of some things. So. And I, your IG is a, a, a way for folks to s- sort of keep in the, yeah. keep in the, and Peregrine, what is, what is, that was Peregrine Honig. <laughs> way better, way better. <laughs> good, good. Okay. Five funny finishers and we'll get you out of here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's let's imagine we're imagining. Okay, I love imagining. You have uh, created your bucket list. Uh-huh. Okay, and then uh, somewhere someone appears and and provides you with all of the all of the resources to do your top three things on that list. And your top three is your legit top three. What are you doing first? Get pregnant. <laughs> That is a fantastic answer. Okay. You get to have lunch with any one of your choosing, dead or alive, who and why. I think it would be Josephine Baker. Writer, artist? Why do I yeah, know that name? Yes. Okay, okay. Just, I know there's people that would probably be more like academically or whatever. I just, she just seemed like such a person that you could sit down across the table from and who would tell you great stories and you would have like a really good time with. I wouldn't have seen her name in one of those new letters, would I have? No. I didn't think so. It just, it's, it's like I can see it somewhere. 
she had a really great sense of humor about like her sexuality okay. and performing. Um, you know, she's the she's the her probably her iconic images of her in a banana skirt. Oh, okay. yeah, she okay. kind of took vaudeville and played around with played around okay. like kind okay. of had a good very like transparent sense of humor i like that yeah okay um you're given the gift to visit your past self at any age of your choosing what age are you choosing and what are you saying I guess at any point that it's probably maybe 12. Okay. And that it'll you'll get more comfortable with loneliness. Wow. Loneliness was a heavy thing at 12. Yeah. Okay. Like not in a martyr way. Uh, yeah, just not taken as such. I I guess some people not lonely like being alone because you can be surrounded by people and be lonely. I, I, I hear you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I guess that just because there's people that are drawn to you and want to know you, that that's your that loneliness is real. Yeah. Um, complete this for me, please. Okay. The world would become an immediately better place in which to live, if only. The world would become a better place to live, if only. Theology wasn't used as a weapon. Oh, man. Whew. Okay. I mean, amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> and I mean that. Yeah. Um, a little while ago, Oof. you mentioned uh, reality TV. Yeah. I, I trust that you remember the show Fear Factor. I do. Okay. What would be the absolute worst Fear Factor situation for Peregrine Honig? to be exposed to or a part of? What would be my worst like fear factor situation? I feel like whatever I answer, there's just going to be something worse that I'm going to think of later. My answer is all that shit. (laughs) Fuck all of it. I don't care if it's one spider or a box of spiders. See, I, I don't have any issue with like snakes or spiders or any. Now, see, I I see people that do, and um, but none of that stuff really freaked me out. Okay, okay. I'm not like I don't get like overloaded about like sensory stuff. How I mean, about um? Yeah, give me more. Have Kill Bill? Have you seen this? I have. Okay, uh, Uma Thurman again. Amazing. Strangely, uh, gets chloroformed or whatever and then buried alive that was upsetting (laughs) 
I don't care what the technique is. As soon what as- is it that I just learned about? It's like there's a term, and it was so many people were buried alive that there's a term about the bell. Um, mm. There, you have to look it up. Can you look it up? It's mm. like look up uh, "buried alive bell" because there's a very common slogan that people say, and I just recently learned that it's based on people ringing a bell and it i thought it had some kind of quaint soft thing but there were these inventions that people would have so if they woke up in their coffin shit (laughs) i can't believe you made me google this read it what is it what's this joanne gottfried taberger taberger created a bell system for coffins in 1892 Uh uh-huh strings were attached to the bodies (laughs) The body's head, hands, and feet, and were connected to a bell perched above ground, and a cemetery watchman would be alerted if the bell rang. Fuck! But wait, wait, there's a slogan. Put slogan in there. Don't get nervous. Like, they can check your vitals a lot better now than they used to be able to. Stop putting bells on graves. No, but put in, like, slogan. Saved by the bell. Saved by the bell. <laughs> like a TV show. Yes. Whatever those yeah. kids. Saved by the bell. It's not, it's not the, that's, no, it's not the sitcom or whatever that was. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's saved by the bell is a term that was used in, in the context of people's lives being saved because they rang the bell that was connected to the string that was in their coffin. Saved by the bell. Wild. Uh, throw up in my mouth. <laughs> I got Thank you so much yes, for being you're here. Saved uh, by the bell. <laughs> Peregrinehonig.com and on Instagram. Peregrinehonig. Guess my name. That's like the one thing. I got it for my birthday, my name. Like nobody's, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bye. So thank you for having me. I wish you the best. Thanks for being here. I wish you the best too. Bye. Bye. <sighs> Saved by the bell. <laughs> <laughs>